Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and I've actually got some shows to plug. I am doing some live shows. Well, uh, those of you in Brunswick Heads or near Brunswick Heads or those who've travelled to Brunswick Heads to see one of my What You Talking About Will shows at the Brunswick Picture House know that I've done a couple of shows already. There is another one of those this Saturday night, which is uh, February the 20th. The inside is all sold out, but there are some garden tickets still available and people in the gardens have been having a brilliant time. And we've added one final, at least for now, because they're going to do some renos after this, but one final What You Talking About Will show at Brunswick Heads. That will be happening on uh, March the 13th. It is already on sale and we've already sold about 60 or 70 tickets to that. So if you want to come along on March the 13th, then get in quick if you're in Brunswick Heads. Sydney, I am doing a comedy gala, an outdoor comedy gala at the Sunset Piazza uh, on the 26th of February. Uh, 26th of February, Friday the 26th of February at 8 o'clock. Uh, I am on. Uh, Sam Taunton, Danielle Walker, Oliver Twist, Alex J, and hosted by, of course, the brilliant Justin Hamilton. So I highly recommend that. Very limited amount of tickets outdoors, Cathedral Square in Sydney as part of this series that the City of Sydney has put on. So it's a really cool idea. First time I'll be doing proper stand-up, trying to remember some of my old-fashioned stand-up jokes uh, for this gala. But go along to that if uh, that sounds like your thing. And of course, not just that. But I have Melbourne Comedy Festival tickets on sale. We're not going to miss it. I did wonder if this was going to be the first comedy festival that they'd put on that I had missed for the last 25 years. (laughs) Uh, I was going to have a year off because I'm not going to do a brand new show until 2022. But I have decided to come back to Melbourne and do... A very short season at the Arts Centre in Melbourne of my show, Will Legal, which is a show all about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. Uh, I have had a little look at the show. I've done a little bit of work on the show. I've changed a couple of things um, just through new eyes. And I'm super excited about getting out to be able to do that show again. So very limited amount of tickets because of the COVID uh, safe setup that we have. We are at, you know... uh, just over half capacity really for the entire season and it is only half a season anyway. So if you want to come along and see me at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, particularly if you haven't seen the show before, get in. But if you have seen the show before and you want to revisit it, I think you'll notice that there is a, enough different things in there, enough different parts of the story that um, you'd enjoy it on a second watch. So uh, that is happening the last couple of weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, but it is on sale now. And of course, because you're a listener to this and you've listened to this intro, I'm going to give you a bit of a tip. On Tuesday the 16th, it is what they call the 24 for 24, which means that for 24 hours, tickets are only $24. So if you want to come and see the show, it is limited tickets and it is limited nights for the 20 for 24 offer. But if you're looking for a cheaper ticket to a show that is already well and truly run in, then I recommend getting around Tuesday the 16th, the 2424 promotion. And that applies to a whole bunch of shows. So if you're looking at comedy festival tickets, always a good one to keep in mind. Okay, have I done all the plugs? Oh, tofop.com. That's where all our podcasts are. Tofop's back with a brand new episode this week. Fofop will be back with a brand new episode this coming week. 
Charlie has been doing a series of Two Guys at One Cup where he talks to various celebrities about how they got into their AFL teams, which have been really excellent episodes. I dipped into those the other day and had a really good time listening to Two Guys at One Cup. But you can find all that, all James Fosdyke's original artwork, everything you need to know about our little mini indie podcasting empire at tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com. All the links to ask questions, all the links to send questions to each of the podcasts are all there on that website. And of course, if you'd like to support this show coming out weekly, or if you want it to come out twice per week, we're looking to raise $5,000 per month on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash philosophy. I will tell you more about that either this week or next week when I put out a little bonus second episode because I've got one up my sleeve that I want you guys to hear about sooner rather than later. So that's enough of the plugs for today. Here is what this episode is all about. It is Naomi Higgins. You might not know the name Naomi Higgins. I did not know Naomi very well before having this chat, but she is uh, a brilliant young writer. She has a TV series that is launching this week on ABC iView called Why Are You Like This? Why are you like this? You will be able to see it if you're in Australia on ABC iView as of this week and in the rest of the world on Netflix very, very soon. So it was a great opportunity to talk to a young emerging writer, comedian. Um, I dug it. I thought this was a really fun chat and I really enjoyed getting to know Naomi, I hope you're going to enjoy it too. Thanks to everybody who's been leaving positive comments about all the previous episodes. That's the best way. There's a lot of big players in the podcast game these days, big radio companies and, you know, marketing campaigns. And look, down at tofop.com, it's just Charlie and I and Podcast Mike, James Fosdow, uh, Taylor, who does our social media for us. But we're just a little ragtag group of indie media makers. So the best way that you can help us out is to promote the shows, tell your friends if they would like them. Uh, give them a plug on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, those apps that I'm not on, like TikTok and other, you know, young people's things. <laughs> All right, I'm getting myself in trouble now. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, like it, rate it, share it, all those things. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Oh, oh, hang on. Sorry. Uh, in between me recording that introduction, I've had some new shows announced uh, that I need to tell you about Canberra. If you're in Canberra, here's an alert. I am bringing Legal back to Canberra on the 5th of March. Uh, that is a Friday night. And then on the 6th of March, I am doing my What You Talking About Will improvised show. show. So two shows in Canberra, very limited seating because of COVID. But if you want to come out and see uh, Legal on the Friday night or What You Talking About Will on the Saturday night, or we have a, um, a special if you want to buy a ticket to both shows. So if you want to see... I guess my most written show and my least written show in two different nights, then uh, you can do that March the 6th uh, and March the 5th. I don't know why I said it in that order. Anyway, had to add this on because uh, those shows are very soon and those tickets hopefully will go very quickly. So March the 5th and March the 6th, we'll legal one night. What you're talking about, Will, the next night for Canberra. Oops, sorry, I'm back again. Third time lucky. We will get to Naomi in a second, but uh, things are changing very quickly at the moment. And firstly, I would like to give a massive shout out to anybody who's listening in Melbourne, because in between me doing the intro this morning and doing it again this afternoon, there has been news that Melbourne is going back into a hard lockdown. So I feel incredibly for uh, the people in Melbourne and obviously 
at the moment with Melbourne and Adelaide shutting borders, there's uh, a huge amount of people who were heading to Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe. And uh, I'm just thinking about everybody at the moment. Um, you know, uh, keep safe, keep calm, get through everything that is going on at the moment. It is a rapidly changing world. And speaking of rapidly changing, I gave you a bit of a heads up to the uh, 24 for 24 hours um, uh, promotion that is run. Uh, for shows during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That has now been changed to Tuesday the 23rd of Feb at 2pm. So uh, instead of it being this Tuesday, it is going to be Tuesday the 23rd of Feb at 2pm. So if you want to pick up one of those $24 tickets, as I mentioned earlier, only a couple of shows that they're available for and there is a limit to the amount of tickets. But if you are somebody who wants to get in uh, for the 24 for 24, then uh, it starts now on Tuesday the 23rd of February. Okay, it's Friday at the moment and this episode doesn't come out to Sunday morning. So let's see how many times I need to update the information between uh, now and then. Uh, Love to you all. Enjoy this. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And uh, this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So, uh, who are you? Uh, I'm Naomi Higgins. I'm a writer, actor, comedian, girl. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I like the pause before girl, though. So, writer, actor, comedian, pause, dot, 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 girl. (laughs) It is nice to have you here, all of those things. Um, this is the first time I think that we've officially had a conversation, so it's always nice to do one of these where I get to dive in the deep end and find out everything about somebody in a really sort of intense conversation about life and the meaning of yeah. life, and we can be bonded forever. My so, favourite way to meet um, someone. <laughs> let's dive in the deep end, uh, Naomi. Uh, I ask people on this podcast if they have a philosophy and sometimes I save that to weigh into the conversations but I figure with somebody new I wouldn't mind just diving in at the philosophy and then we'll work our way back from there so do you have a a life philosophy of some kind uh probably that nothing matters um that (laughs) (laughs) you're right it is a good place to start (laughs) really easy way to get a snapshot of someone well done good interviewing (laughs) Um, yeah, nothing matters. It's fine. <laughs> Just do whatever. Okay, so nothing matters, it's yeah. fine is is very different to nothing matters though because it's <laughs> fine is a qualifier on, you know, nothing matters because nothing matters could be presented in a nihilist sort of way in that nothing matters and life has no meaning and therefore I'm going to be despondent about that. But that's not the direction you took it in. So explore a little bit more about what you mean by nothing matters. Uh, I just um, I just think people spend, and I'm extremely guilty of this, a lot of time worrying about things that do not matter. Um, and it really helps me to think about the fact that nothing actually does matter. Um, you're eventually going to be forgotten. So you might as well just have fun and try to be nice to people or, you know, not too nice, but (laughs) do no harm. um, And that's basically the only thing you can do and just do what you want to do. 
I, I like the idea that there was a qualifier on being nice to people. Not many people feel like they need to. You can just normally say, "Be nice to people." You didn't have to say, "Well, not well, that nice," and you know, do no do no harm, but don't do well. I mean, do some harm, but not too much harm. You have to do a little bit of harm. Uh, yeah, no, I think some people are too nice. <laughs> you know, they again they spend a lot of time worrying about what other people think of them, and it doesn't matter. Okay, so this idea of not not mattering, it's very fascinating to me because you touched on something, the idea that at some stage we'll all be forgotten, you know, the idea that they say eventually everybody's grave goes unattended, Mm. right? People forget. You know, Cary Grant was the biggest, you know, movie star in the entire world. And yet... I don't know who that is. Well, exactly, right? I was going to say, it's not often you and your friends probably sit around at a party and compare your favourite Cary Grant movies. And yet, like, (laughs) 60 years ago, 70 years ago, he was the hugest star in the world. So, of course, yes, we are all almost immediately forgotten. And it's ridiculous that we spent so much of our life trying to go, no, I will not be forgotten. People will remember me. Look at the ways that I validated my existence. So... Where did this come from, the idea that uh, things don't matter? I, I genuinely think it, um, it's just something I've just started telling myself. Like I, I, um, I have anxiety and I think there's just – I think anxiety is the most embarrassing mental illness to have personally because like it's a physiological response to danger uh-huh. um, that was – like that used to be useful when there was, I don't know, an animal and you had to run away. But now it's like, oh, Pete didn't invite me to his party. And now I'm in a flight or fight response. <laughs> like, like, you know, and your heart rate's increasing, like you're going to have to act on it. But it's like, you don't even like Pete. <laughs> you don't need to go to the party. It's fine. Okay. I know what you mean, but I think that there are dangers all around us would be my counter. They're just not... <laughs> lions on the plains like it isn't actually the most unnatural thing to be anxious about the world that we live in i mean we're living in the middle of a global pandemic we have the looming you know threat of climate change there's the existential threat of technology and the way that it's manipulating us and meant that truth doesn't mean anything anymore they're all real things that any sensible person could be anxious about so is there a possibility that in the day and age we live in that that sort of fight or flight response is rational. The unfortunate thing is it's not a line on the planes that you can run away from or fight anymore. These dangers are a little bit more <laughs> subtle than that. I mean, sure, if you can help do something about it, but like <laughs> us, but don't do too us much. sitting here being Just like the world can much. end <laughs> isn't going to fix anything. <laughs> okay, so tell me how you got to be here. How old are you now? I'm 27. Yeah, okay. So you, you're quite a, a young person. Like the world's been pretty cooked since the moment you were born up until now. So, um, yeah, that probably informed my worldview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it'd be a bit sadder if somebody was 57 and they were on this podcast talking about how everything was terrible. And you're like, you lived through 20 or 30 good years. I don't know what you're complaining about. But yeah, you got free uni, all right? Yeah, you, you've got three houses. You've got an investment property. <laughs> what are you complaining about? Can I have one? <laughs> All right. So um, where, where I, did your life start? Where did you grow up? What is What made you you? I grew up in like the western suburbs, sort of moving of, um, of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, not the like the best area, but also not the worst. Um, so kind of like around like Melton and then we moved to sort of Macedon Ranges area, which was really nice. 
Um, but I just went to like a big school that had like 1200 kids. That was just sort of, you just throw in all the kids from like 30 different suburbs and you're like, go. Uh, <laughs> and so it was just like a public school. Um, and then I guess, I don't know. I always liked performing. Um, you know, I did used to do like acting classes and stuff when I was young, but then, um, I've also always been really good at maths. So I did, um, so then I stopped doing all the like arts stuff at VCE because it's like, you know, working class family is you've got to take your skills, go get a real job. Um, so I went, uh, so I, then I did a double degree in science and engineering. Um, and as I was most of the way through that, I got a job at like a startup coding and I was like, oh my God, I'm so bored. <laughs> I hate this. Um, cause everyone would be like, why do you want to be an engineer? And I was like, nah, make lots of money. And then I realized that again, part of growing up in like a working class family and like, you know, we were okay, but I think my, my mom especially very much had the mindset that like, don't spend money if you don't have to. So I was making money, but I didn't spend it. <laughs> and I was like, now what? This isn't satisfying at all. I'm the same as I was before. And then uh, I uh, and then I started like seeing a bunch more live comedy, um, which is, you know, in Melbourne, it's everywhere. Um, so I was just seeing it everywhere. And I'd always loved like comedy TV shows. I'd always loved comedy. And I thought it was just like a waste of time. You know, I was just watching TV, which I was like, this is a useless hobby. Um, but uh, then I was like, yeah, watching stand up. And I was like, I think I can do that. Um, and then I started doing stand up, um, and yeah, it was, and then it was great. And then I, I started applying for grants and stuff. And then, um, and then I went through Fresh Blood, which is the ABC Screen Australia initiative thing. And, um, and then eventually I quit stand up when we got, um, money to make a pilot because I realized that I actually didn't like stand up. <laughs> I mean, I like... <laughs> You know what it's like. I mean, I'm sure you like it by now, but... Um, oh, no, I have, I have plenty of times where I don't like it too. And it's been very kind to me. So if, yeah. if I'm saying that sometimes I want to just walk myself into the ocean rather than do it another time, you're like, well, he means yeah, exactly. it because it's like bought him a house and stuff. people's choice winner 28 years in a row sometimes doesn't like it. Um, yeah, I just like... Again, the anxiety, it's so, it's like, stand-up is so, it makes you so anxious. Anyway, um, so then it went, I went more into, like, TV and stuff like okay. that. Okay, well, um, let's, I'd love to get to TV because you've got something very exciting mm-hmm. that I wanted to talk to you about, which is part of the reason that we're having this conversation today to promote this show that you're involved in. But let's cover off yes. the stand-up stuff first because everybody knows who listens okay. to this, I have a fascination around stand-up. And <laughs> you've done two things that I've done like quit a normal job to go and do stand up. Uh, but mm-hmm. the second one is like, you've actually walked away from it to do something else. And I have not done that one. I've done the first bit. <laughs> I have not done the second bit. I've just gone, oh, well, I have no yeah. other skills. I guess I'm better than you. Yeah, I guess. Well, in a way, <laughs> that's what I thought too. <laughs> I wonder, how did you do it? What happened? <laughs> no, oh my God, I hated it. <laughs> t- tell me the whole story. Uh, like, tell me what it was about, you know, at the start, what made you think you could do it and what you enjoyed about it and then what you came to not like about it. I just, like, I didn't, especially being a girl and growing up in the country mm-hmm. where you're not really valued in certain ways. You know, it wasn't that bad. But I, I remember a, one of my best friends, a guy in school, was, like, talking to me about how girls aren't funny. And he was like, you're the funniest girl at this school and you're not even that funny. And then I, in my head I was like, 
I'm funny. <laughs> was all I took away from that. I was like, am I funny? Okay. And then I started to notice after that that I was making people laugh. And um, and yeah, I was just I was just watching stand up, and I was like, you know, what watching someone, and I was like, I think I'm funnier than you, and you have like a career. Um, it was you. No, just kidding. Um, I always like to think was- that you know you do. In- I because I, when I first started, the SB Sundays was where I first started, and I went three weeks yeah. in a row before I got up on stage. And I say to people to this day, it wasn't the people who were good who inspired me. It was the people who were shit. <laughs> it was the three or four people on the lineup where I was like, I'm yeah. definitely better than them. I am not going to be the worst person on this lineup who inspired me. So to those people who probably don't do comedy anymore, I thank you for launching my career. And if along the way somebody has looked at me and gone, well, if he can get a job, I can get a job and got into the industry, well, you can send me a little thank you. Well, exactly. It is the good comedians who you look at and you're like, well, I have no yeah. what doing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I just, I thought I should like actually give this a go. I was reading Amy Poehler's book Mm -hmm. at the time as well. And that really inspired me. I love Amy Poehler. And she was talking about how, like, if you want to do something like, fuck it, just do it. And so obviously it's really scary to just go, like, it's, it's so much actual labor, like, you know, going down, talking to people, like to put yourself through something like possibly very traumatic, uh, and so I was um, at uni at the time. I was at Monash and there was like a stand-up comedy competition that was just to, if you like come and audition essentially for a group of people and then if you win, then you get to open a gig for, um, it's Tom, Tommy Little and Nazim Hussein. And so I was like just staring at the like post and I was like, I can't come up with a reason not to do it. So I think I just have to do it. Um so I, yeah, I applied and I sort of wrote, you know, wrote five minutes, wrote my first type five. Um, and then, yeah, I went down and I re- <laughs> I remember sitting there and I was like the last one on and they looked at me like I was, you know, a little girl, like I looked young for my age anyway. I looked like a child. And I remember, um, yeah, I was just like psyching myself up. I was so nervous. And then the girl introducing me was like, okay, be nice. and then I did my five minutes and then I got up and she was like okay don't mess with her (laughs) and I was like okay good I got myself across if that was the impression and then uh and then yeah me and um another person won and so my first actual gig was to like 400 people in like they'd rented the Spiegel tent um and opening for like Tommy Little and Nazim Hussein and they were both so nice um and it was like an amazing first gig so I was like well I'm gonna keep doing this and then you know a few gigs later I bombed for the first time and I was like oh no can you remember what you were talking about do you know what topics you were talking about when you first went on stage yeah I was talking about um because I used some of it because I did raw comedy the next Mm -hmm. year um and so some of it was definitely in my raw set um it was talking about um, old people complaining about technology and how that was fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a joke about like you know people saying go for a walk, and I'm saying where the fuck are you going to walk? Like that sounds fucking boring. Oh, that's um, right. So I I watched that set from 2016, raw uh, comedy, yeah. and that is that, yeah a while ago it's now. A good joke though, but you do look uh, you, you do look extremely young. I will say it did look a little like it was class clowns, not raw. <laughs> like I was like, how old is this girl? Yeah, and I wasn't even that young then. I uh, it. 
Yeah, it was it was really fun. It was just like taking. I think that I think the original punchline to that was something about. Yeah, I think the joke I opened with it's like it was something about being old fashioned and and like listing other things that are old fashioned. And one of them was like genocide. Even though that's come back in fashion now, <laughs> fashion cyclical after all. Uh, yeah, no, and didn't really pull any punches. <laughs> Uh, so you obviously thought that it was a place to say something. So I've watched your raw set. If that is indicative of the stuff you were doing early on, there is, I mean, there's a quite dark line in that raw set about domestic violence and about, you know, yeah, men's wishes in a relationship versus, you know, women's wishes not to basically be like beaten and murdered in a relationship. And it, <laughs> like even at, at a pretty no, right on crowd at the, you know, the 2016 raw, you know, final in Melbourne at the town hall, even they had their breath taken away a little bit by where you went in that joke. But clearly you thought that the stage, that stand up stage was not just somewhere to be funny. It was somewhere to say something more than being funny yeah I mean that's just the stuff that comes out of my mm-hmm. mouth I th- I can't help it like I you know I'm definitely the, yeah the person just even in my friend group who it's just not pull punches I get I, I don't know I fucking hate it when people say that it's like I'm not I'm not a bitch I'm just honest like I sound like in a, a MySpace about me section but that is the fucking truth yeah. <laughs> you're just telling it like They're it like, is oh, and no, you no, encourage no. people to do their own research yeah sure yeah exactly um it yeah, I don't know. I just I just love pointing out that stuff and it does make people uncomfortable, but that I think is so funny. I think that's the funniest thing to make people uncomfortable and like sort of put them on the back foot. You know, like there was a guy at work once who was like, oh, I'm voting yes in the plebiscite because I think that gay people should have to suffer like we do. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, oh my God, are you suffering? And he was like, oh, you know, I think every bloke could say that. And I'm like, what are the women doing? What's what's your wife doing? Are you okay? Like, do you need help? And he's like, no, I just mean, oh, you know, I'm like, should you get a divorce? Are you okay? Um, And just pointing out logic flaws, essentially. I think that's still like the max part of my brain when something just doesn't add up. I just like to point it out and yeah, it makes people uncomfortable. But that's my favorite. Just, Just like dismantling an argument, not through aggression, but through just curiosity treating them as if they're oh my God. actually making a serious point. That, that's that's basically what I think about. And look, this is even old school for me, so it's going to seem like ancient history for you in stand-up comedy. <laughs> but there was a particular time where there was a certain type of male comic whose entire act was bitching about like their wife, you know, how tough mm. their wife was. And the, the whole time I would just watch these people and just think either – like your wife is this terrible to you, in which case this is a horrible people shouldn't be laughing. This is a plea for help. Yeah, you get you out. are in an abusive relationship <laughs> with the monster if this is true. And if this is not true and you really love your wife, what a horrible way to earn your living. <laughs> right. Like, and that's and literally for how long? Like centuries, I guess, men have been like sitting at fucking dinner parties being like, oh, our wife's fucking terrible and the wives are just like John what are you doing okay so you you do stand up for how long before you decide I want to concentrate on other things well it was kind of it was just fresh blood gave me an in because I didn't grow up watching stand up I grew up watching TV I think that's always been what has like drawn well I still like stand up you know I'd watch the gala every year um I, I really like laughing and I like making people laugh but it was TV 
that really drew me in. And then Fresh Blood came around and um, obviously um, you know my partner Mark Bernardo from Auntie Donna. Um, he had done it the last time around. And so I was just like, maybe I'll maybe I'll do it, fuck it. And then we just sort of kept going down that path. I was still doing stand-up. When we got the pilot, it was just, I was so tired of going out like, you know, three, four nights a week (laughs) to a bar after my day job and feeling super anxious as well. Like I can't eat when I'm anxious. And so I would um, have an up and go for dinner, a vanilla up and go. And then I kept like leaving them places. And this other stand-up came up to me and he's like, do you know who keeps leaving up and goes? (laughs) Empty up and go boxes at every stand up. And I was like, that's me. Um, and so then when I was like, oh my God, I don't think I have enough time to write this pilot, I was like, oh, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I need to go and get some sleep. It's just like going out to a bar to be stressed for then five minutes of maybe a good time or maybe a terrible time that punches you in the gut and then going home to go to bed and then going back to work. I just had had enough. Okay, so you uh, talk me through the process. What sort of TV shows did you admire? So what sort of things that did, say, you grow... I mean, people have heard me talk a million times on this show about the fact that, for me, it was two very, um, you know, big shows on the ABC. One was called The Big Gig, which was like a live variety stand-up show with, you know, Wendy Harmer and the Doug Anthony All-Stars and, you know, The Empty Pockets and Glenn Nicholas and all these people that I loved. And then the other one was a show that Andrew Denton did called The Money or The Gun, which I just thought was, I'd never seen sort of, you know, journalism done in such a hugely comedic way. And I think you could draw a direct line between me being 13, 14, 15 and watching these shows and Mm. the style of shows that I've made and the place that I've made them. Like I've made shows at the ABC. The shows that I've made have definitely been, you know, the children or grandchildren of those sort of shows that I grew up watching in the first place. You can see the influences. I mean, Ted Robinson, who produced The Big Gig, produced The Glass House. Like Andrew Denton, who you know, I was watching on TV, produced Gruen. Like literally you can see the lineage between them. Is there a similar thing between what you were watching and what you're creating? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I, I was listening to like a podcast once and it was talking about how like one of the ways that you become an expert is just by consuming you know, and I'm sure that's the same with you. That's how I got good at stand-up as well. Because I, I think one comedy festival I went to like 25 shows in one comedy festival. And I wasn't even like, you know, going for the funny ton. I just liked it. Um, (laughs) And I honestly think that with my analytical brain, they've helped me to like formulate a sitcom. Um, So like The American Office, um, Flight of the Concords. I'm just trying to think of ones that I saw like up late on TV and I was like, oh my God, I have to know more about this. Another one that I saw at like 11 p.m. on Channel 10 one night was It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh my God, these characters, like they're, they're awful. <laughs> All they do is scream at each other. And I was just in love. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're pieces of shit. Like it really speaks to me for some reason. Um, so those kind of sitcoms, yeah, where the people are bad, not so much The Office, but I guess Michael Scott is kind of, he is like an anti-hero. Those kind of anti-hero American sitcoms. Um, well, I, he's certainly, I like, I mean, Michael so Scott charmingly played, but if on paper you mm. wrote down the things that he did to sabotage other people and get in the way of their ambitions and stuff, yeah. he's a terrible person. Just a terrible, yeah, charming yeah, yeah. person. So. 
That's interesting to me that that style of comedy was something that was infused in your work. So when you sit down to create something, because this is not a thing you've done yourself, is a collaboration. What's going on? Yes. So um, the show that we've made mm. is um, is me, um, Mark, my partner, and um, Ham Hamira Marbab, who um, lives in Sydney. Um, and so, and she isn't even um, like obviously Mark has a great history with comedy. You know, he's so experienced. So it was like perfect to have him on board. And then Hum is just, um, I just was like, what could I write a sitcom about? You know, they're just about people when you get down to it. Whatever the setup is, it's just about people. And I just thought there was something really um, fascinating about mine and Hum's friendship because we just scream at each other a lot, and, so, <laughs> and we're very opinionated, and we love each other so much. Um, I, the first conversation we ever had was we met at Splendor in the Grass, um, which is also where I stood near you um, for the first time. Uh, but we met there, and it was like sort of a group, you know, just sitting around, and Taylor Swift and Kanye West came up. And we just both started just talking so passionately about like the gender and racial aspects of the Taylor Swift Kanye West feud, and no one else cared. <laughs> but we were like, yeah, and this and this and this and this. And I was like, oh, I like this girl. Anyway, so uh, so it was the three of us who sort of created the the show together. Um, what was the question that was before? Well, I'm, no, there's, I've got a bunch of questions. We're in the TV land now, so I'm very interested in this whole <laughs> yeah. process. So firstly, the process of collaboration. Like how how did that mm-hmm. work, you know, particularly collaborating with your partner as well, which throws something extra into the mix. You're collaborating with somebody who doesn't live in the same city, so I imagine there was technology involved in your collaborations as well. <laughs> so what what do you like at collaborating? What was that process like? Oh, my God, it was a nightmare. <laughs> like I – that and that's – and that's one thing, hum. And I say to each other now, it's I've felt the strongest feelings of my entire life with you because it honestly is. And yeah, working with my partner as well, it is three. And they're both very, I would say, I, I think, although I've made myself sound pretty confrontational already on this podcast, I feel like I like I'm, I'm my, I have a good ability to like, you know, relax. They're both very hot headed. Um, and so, and I love, and you know, I love them both more than like most other people in the world. So it has been an extremely passionate experience. You know, when we disagree, it's like people shut down and they get mad at each other. And I've been, I've started comparing it to Fleetwood Mac's rumors, um, you know, born out of fire, (laughs) um, is something good. I hope. Um, Uh, out of the three of you, who is most likely not to be talking to the others in 20 years? Uh, Mark, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he puts up with us sometimes. Because we're both, Hums like me, we're both very like, nope, don't like it. <laughs> and, and Mark will be like, oh, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, it's, it, yeah, it is, it's, it's a lot of interpersonal relations. I don't know, I'm sure you've had the same thing. It's hard. Well, I imagine it must be interesting. Like, I mean, there's so many dynamics mm. going on, like with you guys. Like, firstly... You're young and I think that there is like so much emotion, you know, things seem so yeah. important and everything feels on the line and you're like, this is our big opportunity, this is our big Absolutely. break and I think it's important that it is emotional, 
you know, like I, I would never be emotional like the way I was in Triple J or when we were doing Glasshouse or whatever. But like I was then. I remember crying in front of like a room full of people at the Melbourne Town Hall because we were filming a live Glasshouse and I could not get this. They had this boom shot over the audience and then I had to hit oh, like no. the thing and I couldn't get it and we were filming it at the end of two records <laughs> and I was like exhausted and I'm just crying in front of a thousand people. And like, I mean, I just, I wouldn't do that anymore, but that's, important i think to care about something so passionately but then you've got the extra thing of yes it's your partner and the extra thing on top of that that he is already in another collaboration and they will all have their rules about how they collaborate and the things that they've developed over the years with auntie donna and then of course he comes to this other thing that's a collaboration but it's not the same collaboration because i don't think you know he's sleeping with any of the members of auntie donna so it it makes well who knows (laughs) yeah i I, I mean i can't guarantee i can't say either but (laughs) I don't want to rule it in or out or make a value judgment either way. Not my business. But there are a lot of extra complications there. So did you have – did you put some firm rules around stuff like that? Did you say, you know, here's where our professional collaboration is and here's where our relationship is? Yeah, well, I – yeah, that that stuff does really stress me out because, you know, I'm I'm even – I'm younger than Mark and he has this whole other thing. And for me, like, this is my child. Like, I like we've all co-created and co-written it. One of the characters is based on me. I play that character. It's, like, so my child. And you're right. When, when it's, like, your first thing, I feel like, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God. It's everything. <laughs> it's everything. Like, I quit stand-up. This is my um, – but, you know, that's why I've started, like, trying to come up with other concepts and stuff because I'm like, I can't live like this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it is – Mark did have to put a rule. He's like, you guys have to stop saying, using the word hate. You have to stop saying, I hate this. Because, like, you know, he'd write a script and especially Harm. She'd just, like, highlight stuff and being like, hate this, hate this, not funny, not funny. But, you know, with Harm, she do- she genuinely doesn't care. Right. Like, she doesn't need compliments. She doesn't need someone to be like, this is good, this is good, keep this. She's just like, tell me what's wrong. Um, and, and you know, I'm different to, like, I love, I need compliments to live. And, um, you know, Mark also, like, you know, needs things done in a certain way. And I'm and I'm sure in Auntie Donna, like, they've, you know, they've been working together for so long that they have these things, you know, don't shoot anyone's ideas down straight away, you know, make sure to live, especially because there's, they're all three performers as well. You know, they have a lot of personal stakes in everything. Um, and, you know, they, I, you know, I, I've heard them talk and they're very polite and they're very like, you know, it's like a business. It's like a meeting. Whereas, yeah, the three of us sit down and it's just Mark sitting with two girls who are like, not funny, not funny, hate this, hate that. <laughs> because we're like, let's just get it done, get it out of the yeah. way. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, definitely an adjustment for him. <laughs> More than um, us. Because we're just going from, but yeah, Hum will like, Hum yes. will highlight something and she'll just write, oh, I want to kill myself. Um <laughs> Like, just because she doesn't like it. <laughs> I guess it, so. it, it's straight to the point. You understand where she stands. The, you know, you've saved some time in a meeting, I guess, if you put it like that. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's taken the edge off when people say stuff like that. Now, I feel like I am tougher because of it. Because now, when she used to say, I'm going to kill myself, I was like, oh, my God, what can we do? And now she says, I'm going to kill myself. I'm like, oh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's good. Shut up. Uh, not general advice for when somebody tells you they're going to kill yourself, though, guys. Don't just t- immediately no. tell them to shut up. I feel I need to point that out. For Only if they say it legal, moral, and five times a day for a year. Reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, did you have a philosophy about what you wanted to create? You've watched a whole bunch of stuff. You're about to create something. This is your little 
statement out into the world, did you do a lot of thinking about what that statement would actually say? What we're saying? Yeah. I mean, shit. I think the philosophy of the show is also nothing matters. And uh, it's definitely a... Because with the show, we talk about contemporary issues. We talk about like, you know... MySpace. MySpace, Bebo. um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Habbo Hotel. Um, uh, we talk about like religion, um, sexuality, you know, all the big ones that people sometimes like to avoid. Um, but we're never trying to like preach, I guess. So the point of the show is to like talk about this stuff, but never actually have a message, like just to present it in a funny way. And I think that's why I love shows with anti-heroes, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia and like I'm just so drawn to writing characters that are essentially unlikable because you can just fuck with them so much and they don't have to be like the moral centre of the show. And that's what I love, those shows where you have to like basically make up your own mind. They're not telling you what's right, what's wrong, how you should act in this situation. They're basically showing you how you shouldn't act in a situation. Okay, so I'm very interested in, you know, you, you said you tick off some sort of big issues and we like to, you know, talk about those sort of things <laughs> on this show as well. So oh, you mentioned religion. Let's talk about religion first. So mm-hmm. do you have any? Are you escaping any? What is your current stand <laughs> on the world and how it works? I guess I'm agnostic. If my family's listening to this, they're going to be upset. I grew up Christian. Um, my family's all Christian, you know, sort of laid back Christian. I'd say. Um, like Church of up. England sort of Christian or like uniting what, what church. are they? Oh, uniting. Yeah, okay. That's pretty yeah. laid back. Just chill vibes, you know, just vibe, yeah. vibing with Jesus. Um, so, yeah, we grew up going to church. Um, there was a period there. We sort of stopped going to church because we just got a bit old, you know, mum was busy. Um, and there was, a, there was a time there when I started going back. I went to Planet Shakers. Do you know what Planet oh, Shakers is? I do. It's, so it's like for people who don't know, explain it to But I, in my mind, I've never been inside the building, but uh, the place that I used to go to the gym in South Melbourne, there's a Planet Shakers like across the road from there. And so every Sunday morning I would see them all out with their big signs, you know, welcoming people in the name of Jesus. And it felt like it's like a kind of a Hillsong style modern yeah, church like, thing, it, right? Youth Hillsong, like, rock vibes. We would go to this thing on Friday night. They would pick us up in a bus and take us into the city. And it was like a concert. And it was every Friday night. And you'd just go sing these rock songs about Jesus. Just bizarre looking back on it now. (laughs) But, like, that's what I got into when I was a teenager. I was like, bye, Mum. I'm going to Friday night church. Um, (laughs) Very cool. But, you know, it was was pretty – we rocked out. Um, So I did that for like maybe a year and then after a while I was like, eh, that's all right. Um, And I, yeah, and I was very much like in high school being like, I feel like a lot of people are like this. I was like virgin till marriage, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then I went to uni and everyone was like, why do you believe in God? And I was like, "Uh," and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's a bunch of atheists. And I was like, oh, oh." Um, and so I, I don't know. Um, so I think I'm agnostic. I don't know what's, there could be something. I'd like to think there's something, <laughs> but no idea. But in the show, it's, um, we, you know, Hum has a, Hum has a Muslim background. So mostly the religion we talk about is, um, 
Islam, which is, um, you know, oh, that's I would fine. say a People hot are fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> so I'm no. sure no one's going to get mad. It'll be <laughs> No one's going to have any problems fine. with that. Yeah. It's cool, guys. Um, well, what do you think about religion and the role that it has in our society at the moment? Because it, it's funny. It's never seemed less relevant to me, religion, but I imagine – you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, there are some people who have found great comfort in their religions. And you, we live in a country, Australia, where, you know, the prime minister of our country, I think, you know, I, I can't imagine if you told me 20 years ago that we would have a leader of our country that went to, you know, spiritual, you know, Sunday things where he kind of, you know, spoke in voices and did big hallelujahs and stuff. Does he speak in tongues? Well, he does a bit of speaking in tongues, I believe, and mm. certainly does a bit of hallelujah thought- business. <laughs> And I did that. I, I spoke in tongues once at Friday night church. And as I was doing it, I was like, I'm just making this up. Right. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't God. <laughs> this is just gibberish. <laughs> that was near the end. I was like, what am I doing? This isn't God. This is just gibberish. If that is not one of the James Fosdyke poster quotes for this episode. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you did speak in tongues once, though. Were you just in the moment, did it, or were you just going along? What What did you think it was when you were doing it? Yeah, yeah, everyone else was doing it, and I was like, "Okay, I'll try." I mean, you have to try. It's not like you just you just stand there until a voice starts coming. In. I'm sure that's what some people believe. But come on. <laughs> so, what do you think of the role come of uh, religion in our society at the moment? How important is it? How present is it? What are the issues that it's you know causing? Oh, I think, you know, I very much think of religion as basically arbitrary. People use it to justify good and they use it to justify bad. Like there's, I know, um, you know, Christians who are pieces of shit and it's like they, they'll use religion to to say why they're a piece of shit. But then I know Christians, like my mom, all she does is volunteer for different people, you know, making food for people who don't have homes. Like that's all she does. And she would say like, this is what God wants me to do. And I think without religion, she would do that shit anyway. Um, you know, I think we need a separation of church and state. I like, I, you don't need to be, I don't know. I don't like Scott Morrison. Surprise. Um, <laughs> but uh, he... Yeah, I, I don't think religion should be informing politics in any way, but I also hate it when people are like, fuck religion, you know, how can you believe that dumb shit? I, maybe because, you know, I grew up religious, my family's religious. It's very easy for me to see how it's, you know, it can just be personal beliefs. And for a lot of people it just is. I know, like, most people I know who are religious, you know, it doesn't make them into piece of shit who like goes down and like protests near abortion clinics it just you know means they pray every now and then and have peace of mind about what's going to happen after they die yeah it is um I, and i've been all of those things i grew up wanting to be a priest and then went yeah. through the period where i read the god delusion and was like hey everything he says is right and i should tell everybody about it which is a horrible phase of your <laughs> yeah. life i wish i of the two if i had to go back and erase one it would be that one not the wanting to be a priest <laughs> when i was growing up because well yeah that was everyone in um at uni and i think that's what kind of shocked my system because I was I was like maybe you're a bit right but I was like you're yeah. also fucking annoying so I don't like you either <laughs> um, and the other one you mentioned was then sexuality so when you talk sexuality what what do you mean by that what storylines are you exploring that haven't been explored um it uh we explore 
we basically have an episode um, where um, the character Mia, who's um, South Asian, she uh, decides that she is going to stop sleeping with white people as an act of, you know, as as like an act of kind of decolonization mm. that she is going to um, just stop. Yeah, she's it, the 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 episode opens with her saying, uh, you know, I'm decolonizing my pussy. <laughs> Um, which is a thing that a lot of people say. Is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, that's the thing. Like, these, you don't hear about this on TV a lot because randomly people don't want to talk about it. I don't know. Um, even though it's the most interesting thing to me. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't need this. I'm stepping away. I'm making, you know, a political choice about who I sleep with, which is very cool and also very stupid at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's both. It's funny, isn't it? Because it is one of those areas, the, the idea of, you know, taste or who you sleep with that should be entirely up to you. Like it shouldn't be anybody else's business. <laughs> yeah. And yet at the same time, when you make some statement like that, you're just almost like, hang on, is that like racist or something? Like if I, like, would that be, <laughs> it's such a complex area. That's why it's quite, I imagine, so exciting to write about these things because there are so many different energies brought to the table that well exactly and And that's what i think is cool about having these three characters who are so different you know there's my character who is like a you know a straight white girl who's just trying to be the best ally she can and then there's um and her name's penny and then you have mia who's south asian bisexual huge bitch and then you have um austin who's you know white gay drag queen extremely problematic um and so you can put though like that is a conversation that is in the episode like penny being like what if i said the same thing (laughs) it's like no (laughs) um so you can explore all those things and you can come at it from all these you know different angles and that's what i find so fun because that's that's for sure stuff like if you said like i'm sure there's so many white people if you said that to them then there's no way that they would question it or like you know say anything about it because they're like worried about but because you know it's we're talking about us and you know the writer's room is represented because we're talking about ourselves we can just dig right into it in ways that i think other people would be afraid to you know and is sex and sexuality something that because you you, you referenced earlier the idea of being like you know religious at high school and like i'm going to be a virgin until i'm married and these sort of things was there a mm. Did, did there have to be a breaking down of that or was that much like the religion thing? It just kind of got to a day where that didn't make much sense. Yeah, well, I, it, it wasn't – I don't even know why I said that. Like my <laughs> – when I think about it now, I think that was the Friday night church because it wasn't my family. Like my mum definitely was not a Oh, mum will be pleased uh, that you've got that always- on the podcast. <laughs> Hope all her friends are listening. Um, they will be. They're, that's like yeah, my demo. She, <laughs> that's the age difference between us. Your mum is probably my core demo. She probably listened to me on Triple J or something. <laughs> oh, I've, I've embarrassed her enough, you know. I think maybe, yeah, I had a joke for ages about how, she, you know, she was an alcoholic and she'd just come and sit and, like, hold her wine glass in the air. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, she was, like, she was like, let me know when you want to start having sex because we'll go and get you on the pill. Um, and so I don't know why, where I got the virgin thing. <laughs> and like my sisters also obviously did not wait until marriage. I had two older sisters. So yeah, they, the house was there. Okay, so there was no sort of breaking down of any sort of, you know, nun, uh, Brides of Christ style 
you know, religious background no, no, no. or anything no like Katie that. No, Katy Perry journey. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a much better reference, Katy Perry. I've mentioned <laughs> Brides of Christ, the TV show that was on like 35 years ago. So. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. Naomi, Naomi what's his big breakout <laughs> role? But anyway, check it out. It's actually quite oh. good. <laughs> Okay, so, um, all right, so do you have any belief about what happens when we die? Because that's one of the regular questions I ask people. And when we talk about religion, it seems like the the, the right place to ask about it. Do mm. you think about death? You mentioned being anxious. Sometimes anxiety is mixed up with, like, feelings of, of death. And, um, you know, so is death a present thought <laughs> in your mind? Like, you know, what do you think death is? What do you think happens after you die? I'm fucking terrified mm. of death. I just, like, I get paralysed if I think about it too much. There's been one or two times where I've been, like, lying in bed and I've imagined just, like, vast nothingness. Like, I've actually been able to picture it only for, like, a second of just, like, eternity of darkness. And I go, ah! <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> I would not say I'm at peace with the concept of death at all. No, no, no. And I don't know what happens. I like to think something happens after you die because I can't imagine... Nothing. I can't imagine nothing, and it sounds awful to me. Um, but you know, <laughs> it, well, but it's interesting because you you started by saying you know nothing matters, but if you truly believe that nothing matters, then you don't care whether something happens or not after you die. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, you probably just think you go back to being what you were before you were alive. But it's interesting to me. Yeah. To be honest, it's less interesting to me what happens before we're here and what happens after we're here to how much that informs what you do while you're here. So what do you prioritize about life? What do you personally think the meaning of your life is? Um, to um, find your own happiness because I've been unhappy and I don't want to be unhappy again, you know. Um, but then also to um, to help people. I think it's really important. Um, I'm a very uh, political person, I guess, and I think there's just so much that you can do and so much you should do. Um, and if you don't have an excuse not to do it, I mean the same way, you know, I was like I don't have an excuse not to do stand-up, if I was able to do that, then there's no excuse for me to not be, you know, donating and going to protests and um, doing everything that you can. I still wouldn't say I do enough, but I try to do as much. Well, as what I can. are the issues that you're most passionate about? Um, one for me would be asylum seekers, keeping them out, um, building a wall. <laughs> <Just real. laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, I'm, yeah, you get me. Um, I, I just uh. Th- I I don't know it's it's hard to even put into words like the fact that people came here without doing anything wrong except coming by boat like I I don't know there's um you know they say it doesn't matter how you seek asylum I'm pretty sure that's in the Geneva mm. Convention right I can't remember um that you know it doesn't matter how you do it if you need asylum then um it's your human right and Australia signed that but um we've kept these people locked up for eight years and I like it's never been more like in our faces because people know now what it's like to be trapped somewhere because of being in quarantine or something you know anyone who's done I haven't done it but anyone who's done a two-week hotel quarantine like you just see like you know it just sends them a bit crazy because I can't even go outside and it's like these people like you know there's men who've come here um part of the medivac thing and now they're locked in hotels and they've been there for maybe like six months now and a bunch of them recently got set 
um, got let out on a bridging visa, which does not solve the problem. But anyway, I went down um, like two days ago to a protest um, in um, Carlton and they're there standing at the window. And it's like, you know, you can go to protests about asylum seekers and, you know, you know that they're trapped somewhere, that they're locked up, that they're being, you know, treated like shit by the locals and the guards. But it's another thing to see them literally on the other side of glass you know, like waving and making heart signs with their hands because they're just happy that someone cares. And like, you know, they, they, I don't know. It really upsets me. Um, it really upsets me. And it's like, and it's like, they're right there. Why can't they just fucking come out here and, you know, just let them like get a house and get a job. It's crazy to me that they're, and you know, and they, again, they haven't committed any crime. They're just keeping them there to punish them and scare other people away. And it's insane to me. We've, uh, you know, being incredibly protective of what we have as if we deserve it rather than if we're lucky to have it. Like, I don't think that anybody can look at your life experience in Australia and there are so many people who slip through the cracks. So that said, but including this group, you know, Indigenous Australians, homeless, there's a whole bunch of people, you know, the murder of women Mm. in our society. There is a lot of people who aren't living the best life for living in Australia, but being born in Australia in a general sense, you have a much better crack at having a good life than you do in a whole bunch of other places. And there was a point in our history where we felt lucky. We felt we look at us through no you know doing of our own we have won an absolute lottery to be born and living in this country and now our attitude seems to be that we deserve it and fuck anybody else who's coming to get it and it just it it's the same country but with a completely different mindset around you know whether we deserve what we have and it's probably the Oh my the God, most exactly. disappointing thing about this country. How do you look at Australia? It's interesting to me. Like, I mean, I always wrestle with the problems this country has versus, you know, the opportunities that it is, you know, availed for me as well. And I have to kind of balance those two things. Uh, when you look at this country, what do you think about it? I think, you know, you and I are personally lucky, <laughs> definitely. But the reason that we have so much is because stuff has been taken from others, you know, like. The, Hang on, the- from who? <laughs> Why has no one ever brought this up on this podcast before? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's, it's honestly, it's embarrassing to me. Um, like the, the fact that, you know, a, a whole group of people were fucking genocided and, you know, you're like, but life is so good now. And it's like, it's good for you because people genocided, you piece of shit. What do you mean? <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. I get, I get, I get so mad about this stuff. I get so pissed off. Like, there's just so much more we should be doing and could be doing and should be paying attention and listening to First Nations people about what they say they need. You know, because you know they 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 die earlier. They have worse health outcomes. You know, they get killed by police, and they're in prison way more than we are. And it's like, how? Either you just think that that's the way it should be or you which personally I disagree with or you have to acknowledge that that there are things that put them in a worse position than you and that's what we need to change but that's the same with anything you know like um diversity in like you know anything saying like it's mostly men here and it's like oh we want it based on merit and it's like well you're just saying men are better Or, like, you're just saying that based on merit, most men are better than women. And I feel like it's the same across so many things. It's like, if there's an imbalance, you're either saying that this group of people is just 
biologically better than this group of people or they're at a disadvantage and why not fix it piece of shit <laughs> i think that what you've said there though gets to the heart of this conversation yeah I, I, in fact i think what you've said there is the trickiest bit for people who've never really exam examined their life of privilege because sometimes people don't feel privileged they feel like they've worked hard for what they have mm. and you know privilege can sometimes feel like a tail breeze you know it doesn't feel like a you know necessarily that you're on jet skis in front of everybody else but you just don't realize that you're the only person in the race who has a tail breeze but yeah. eventually you have to look at something in the exact way that you've looked at it and say if you believe that men and women are both capable of representing us in parliament, then there should be a 50-50 split of men and women, you know, like, yeah, mm. just for the sake of simplicity, right? And there's not. So either you're saying that you believe women aren't as good as at that job, <laughs> yeah. they didn't get their own merit, or there's something inherent about the system that is flawed and it favours men to have those positions. And you can then extrapolate that across everything where there is that imbalance. If there is 20... If Indigenous Australians are 3% of the population and 27% of the prison population, then either you have to believe mm. that the Indigenous people are just inherently criminal mm. and that's why the numbers are so big, or you have to believe that the system is flawed. I don't think exactly. people do think it is between those two choices. I think right. a lot of the time people think, no, I'm not racist and I don't think you know Indigenous people are criminals, but I'm just happy with the system going along how it's going along without actually having to concentrate on it going, well, here's the flaw. The flaw yeah. is right here. Well, here is the evidence. And I guess that's the like analytical curious side of me. It's just being like, okay, so which is it? Like, let's just put it on the table. Mm. Which one? And that's when I think people go, uh, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because like, that's the thing. Like if you can't back up your argument, then stop making it. So um, are you the sort of person who you say you got to, you know, to protest, to donate, like, you know, what is your attitude to changing things? What is, what is the most powerful way for things to change? I don't know. <laughs> if I knew, I would have um, hopefully fixed things. I have no idea that people in power are so rich and they're so old. And, and I can't stand them. And I don't know, like, you know, standing in the street protesting, like, it's better than doing nothing. But sometimes I'm like, like, is it working? I don't know, but I'm still going to go. It's better than, like, surely it'll work more than me sitting at home. Ugh. <laughs> well, when it comes to sitting at home, how did you deal with the pandemic? Because were you in Melbourne for the entire time of the lockdown? Yes. Yes. And so how was that? You know, like a lot of people around the country haven't really experienced, you know, that same thing as Melbourne did being inside their houses, not being able to leave them for so long. What was it like? Well, we were shooting the show during um, during the pandemic. So we, we were shooting it in like March um, and then we got shut down um, for lockdown. And then by the time we started shooting the show again, it was when we went into a second lockdown. But by that time, I feel like everyone was a bit more experienced with it. And instead of fear, it was like, unless they tell us that we have to leave, we keep going. And thankfully, we were allowed to keep going. Um, but it was, I don't know, I have to say, I took to being in lockdown really easily because and Mark's told me this he's like I really admire your ability to do nothing because I can just <laughs> I can just sit down <laughs> I'm gonna sit down and then four months have passed and I'm like hey time to get up all right 
He cannot. Um, uh, he got like a an electronic drum kit to just like have something to do, and you know he's writing all these things, and I'm, and he comes back in the lounge room, and I'm just sitting down. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> what is that about? Like, is it just a capacity to enjoy stillness? Is it a like? Do you get caught up in things? Like when you're just sitting down, are you reading? Are you watching something? Are you just sitting? Like, what is? No. <laughs> What is that stillness? I'm gaming. I'm consuming. I, I I don't think it's a sign that I am at peace at all. I think it's a sign that I can just consume, you know, scroll on my phone, play a video game for an endless amount of time. Um, the, the one thing I would say is I don't get anxious about, like, wasting my time, especially when the whole world was on pause. I was like, okay, I can just sit down. And it, there was never a point where I was like, okay, time to get up and do things now. I've had a good break. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know. I recently found out I have ADHD, um, which I did not know when writing the show. <laughs> and probably informed a lot of the times when Mark and Hum got mad at me because I just like get to 3 p.m. every day and my brain would just die and I just couldn't do anything so I probably I think it's a form of burnout um that like I can just shut my brain off for so long if I have something in front of me to shut it off with but well I mean I think that seems quite healthy to be honest Mm. like I think that a lot of people have beaten themselves up during this time and look it seems like you were obviously you know you're shooting a show so you are doing something as well when you're not doing things but I don't judge anybody who during this entire period of time has been paralyzed and unable to do anything. I was talking to another comedian the other night. I think it might have been Ann Edmonds, and we were chatting about, uh, you know, she said I, she hadn't seen a lot of comedians back on the scene doing much COVID material yet, and she thought everybody would come back with all these tales of lockdown and COVID and all these sort of things. But the truth was that a lot of people had felt like they were creatively paralysed mm. during that time, that they didn't think it was a time where they could suddenly throw themselves into work or come up with all these new ideas yet. And I think we've got to be very gentle around creatives in this space. So I honestly think it was a very good forced holiday for all the stand-up comedians who are just like addicted to always being going essentially. I think it's good for them. I mean, I think as one of the people who probably is responsible for creating that, like, you know, help helping create that madness. Like, I mean, for me, well, I shouldn't say madness. I try not to use ableist <laughs> terms anymore and just occasionally one fucking slips out like that and I'm just like, oh, I am still so old school. But that creative process where I was constantly like, I've got to do a new show every year and then it becomes mm. this badge of honour that people are just like, I need to create all this new material, I need to do this thing. And then I've suddenly looked at, you know, what people are doing at the festivals this year and there's people doing lineup shows, there's people doing old shows that they're restaging, there's people, you know, kind of splitting bills and, you know, collaborating in different ways to what they previously would have collaborated. And I think a lot of those shows have grown out of the idea of people, you know, being around for a while, maybe even not wanting to put six months of work into a show that, you know, might get cancelled on the morning mm. of the show if somebody <laughs> coughs in the wrong place. So instead they're looking at different ways to collaborate. And I think it might actually make the industry more diverse and more interesting and we yeah. might see a broader dichotomy of styles of shows just because of what has happened. Definitely, just getting people out of that. And that's one of the things. I think people are afraid to take a break, you know, and that like like quitting stand-up, I, I had an excuse but it's like a lot of people, I think they just keep doing it because they're like, if I quit, I'm a failure. Or if I take a break, I'm a failure. So I think it was really good for them to just assess, this is what your life is without it. Do you want to go back or do you want to try something else? 
Um, <laughs> you know? I do, yeah, it's interesting to me. It's fascinating. All right, so tell people more about the show. It's on Netflix, is that right? It's on um, ABC. ABC first. Yes, so it's a co-production with ABC and Netflix. So it'll be on ABC, on ABC TV Plus, and then ABC, I don't know, it's airing on lots of different times, but um, it'll be on iView on the night of um, Feb 16th. And then um, later on, uh, at an undisclosed date, it'll be on Netflix for the rest of the world. Um, so everywhere except Australia, it'll then be on Netflix. And then I think eventually it'll also be on Australian Netflix. But yeah, it'll be on iView on Feb 16th, which is very exciting. Okay, this is really cool. So like, yeah, so it's an ABC, you know, project that then gets shown to the world, you know, mm. through the power of Netflix in collaboration. That's a really cool way for us to be producing Australian content. So how many episodes is it? Six episodes. And all shot, all done? Yes, finally, all done. Um, yeah, we got it done in the second. I think we, yeah, we'd shot a lot. We'd shot like two thirds of the show in the first part in the first, before we got shut down. So then we had to come back and not one episode was fully filmed. So we had to come and like finish all the episodes in that last two weeks. Um, but yeah, it's all edited. It's all, um, you know, I think Netflix need a while to like subtitle and dub it in different languages and stuff like that so it's been done for a little while now so I've got some space I've been able to take a step back from it and stop stressing about you know the 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 young person spiral of just like this has to be the best thing in the world where I can actually look at it now and be like oh fuck yeah it's actually really good that that must be very exciting though like I mean if you're so we're talking on the first of February and so well we're 16 days away from you know (laughs) It being up on ABC iView and everybody around Australia being able to watch it and uh-huh. then, you know, this idea that it might then go out to the world. Are you are you ready? For no. That? <laughs> no. I mean I've got a few <laughs> therapy sessions booked. Um, but I don't think you can ever be ready for that kind of thing. Like I love uh, people on the internet, they can just say what they want. And uh, I think you know, being in comedy and doing podcasts and different whatever shows you um you sort of get used to people saying shitty things to you for no reason. So I think I've got a little bit of that under my belt. You know, I think, unfortunately, just like being a woman, I'm expecting it a little bit. You know, I really like Broad City. And I noticed when Broad City was coming out, there were just people in the comments being like, fuck you, not funny. Whereas like, if it's just a show about dudes, if people don't like it. They just don't like, there's just way less of that, I think. So... I think the more diversity you put in a show, the angrier it makes people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of that, but mostly I hope people are going to like it. A lot of people really like the pilot because the pilot did air a couple of years ago. And so that made me feel pretty good about what we were doing. That It resonated with people. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, I think those people are really going to like it. I was a huge Broad City fan. Like, I, one of, I absolutely love that show. But I still wrote a few of those comments just so that I could fit in with white guys. <laughs> I just... Uh, <laughs> come here to really good. like it. But, yeah. This would be great if it was white guys, though, right? <laughs> and if Hannibal Burris was a white guy. If everyone was a white guy, this would be a great show, Finally, guys. there would be something for you, you know? Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Finally, I could turn on the TV and see me reflected back at me. <laughs> at last. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I've got a couple of more questions that I like to ask. Um, So firstly, you you mentioned criticism there, feedback. Mm. Let's play just a little fun game. And this might (laughs) be harder than... Which is, what would you hope people get out of this show? Like at your most optimistic, 
when somebody sits down to watch this show and they really, really dig it, what is it that they're really digging? I would hope that people are like, oh my God, this is me. Or, oh my God, this is my friend. Or, you know, even though the characters aren't good, I, I hope people see themselves in them. They're like, oh my God, that's me too. I'm also a piece of shit. Um, and that, yeah, basically they just find it relatable. Or even if they don't find it relatable, that they can understand where the characters are coming from. Because, you know, there are some concepts like, you know, Ramadan, um, what else? Uh, depression. Like there's themes in the show that, even if maybe you don't have any experience with them, that we sort of explain them in a way that isn't like, you know, really explaining, but just you're able to just be exposed to those parts of the world and just see them as just what they are, not some other sort of weird thing for other people, but just, you know, normal things and that it's relatable, I guess. Um, you've, you said that you've started thinking about other projects now. Mm-hmm. What is the... What's the dream project? It doesn't have to be one of the things that you're already thinking about, but like if, you know, I had a magic wand in the world of entertainment, what's the what's the dream project? I don't know. I mean, you said it doesn't have to be one now, but kind of the dream that I didn't even really allow myself to dream was to have my own half-hour sitcom, which I now have. So that, I guess, is the scary part, that, like, <laughs> I'm 27 and here's my dream on a platter. Um, probably just um, show running, yeah, something where I'm in charge of everything because, you know, we didn't produce or direct the show, but being able to write and direct and produce, I don't know, just, just, just being in charge of everything on a show would probably be my dream scenario um yeah so that i could uh, i make all the calls <laughs> i have a magic wand and i can give you any skill in the entire world you don't have to do your ten thousand hours you don't have to buy some you know ele- electric drums and learn how to play them <laughs> in the corner of the room you, you can just uh, automatically have this skill what skill would you love to be able to have it's kind of boring but i i think i would just want the skill to be able to work <laughs> Because I find it so hard to self-motivate. Um, and, you know, I know I'm a smart person. You know, I was able to get two degrees that I don't do anything with now. I think just the ability to sit down, to get up out of bed and sit down and be able to work. Um, again, probably comes down to the ADHD diagnosis a little bit. But uh, being able to do that, I think, is my one biggest limiter on the things that I can do. And then I'd be able to use that to... To, you know, is do any there, skill, like flying, whatever, I'd figure it out. Is there a, um, I mean, is there a path forward in that way? You talk about the ADHD thing, uh, you know, obviously if it's been diagnosed, is there some sort of, you know, plan for you to manage your ADHD that you think will lead to those sort of things? Hopefully. I mean, hopefully I can get some Ritalin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. I don't know. And they say you have to go to therapy as well and that it's work. Um, whatever. <laughs> I just want a you drug. Just want, some, just want some riddle and you can sell to people on the dance floor at the hi-fi bar during the comedy festival. Absolutely. There's so many uses, you know, um, side hustle. Uh, no, I, yeah, genuinely, I would love to be able to. I know that you have to do the work and so I, hopefully I can do that as well. I printed off a workbook on like working through ADHD things that I got online and it's been sitting on my desk printed out for a month and every time I look at it I'm like there it is <laughs> it's just some worksheets but um no still got to work on that part but you know I'm sure drug will help 
I have a um, time machine. I don't have a time machine, but it is the final question <laughs> of this show. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Um, people can follow you on the internet, on the World Wide Web. You have a whole bunch of different places. They can see some of your stand-up. And, of course, they can check out uh, this new show. This episode will probably just come out in the week that the show is up on. Uh, so I will say it's either up now when you're listening to this, guys, or it'll be up in a couple of days. But check it out February 16th on ABC iView. I imagine there's probably still old Gruen episodes up there. They leave them up for a while. So if you want to check out those, you can do they that do. while you're at ABC iView. And there's a whole bunch of other cool shows, Rosehaven and... And um, yeah, there's there's actually heaps of really good stuff on ABC iView. So I would say, check it out. Go there. Make sure you watch uh, the show. Uh, I have a time machine. I can take you to any point yes. in past, any point in the future, any point in your own life. Does not matter. Uh, it is a return trip. Uh, where would you like to go? I've been thinking about this one. It's kind of hard. I would probably go... I think what I would do is I would hang out with my uncle. Um, he was, um, I was like six weeks old when he passed away and I didn't find out until I was like 20 that he was gay and actually, um, was HIV positive and that's how he passed away. I thought he had cancer. Um, and so, um, you know, my middle name's Terry. His name was Terry Higgins and he was, um, a director for channel nine. Um, I think he used to like direct carols by candlelight and stuff. And, uh, I don't know, it makes me really bummed that he died <laughs> uh, because I honestly think that we would have really gotten along because there's, you know, I love my family so much, but none of them are like particularly artistically inclined. Um, and I just like, I just know that if I was able to hang out with him, like we just would have been best friends. And I'm really bummed that I wasn't able to get to know him. So I think that's where I would go. What a great answer. And yeah, that, that's a that's a lovely thing to say. Really lovely way to finish this show. Thank you so much for doing this. This was nice to talk to you. I, I really had a good time. I hope you had a good time too. I, I laughed had a, a great lot, which time. is always a good sign. And uh, I feel like we covered off a lot of stuff. So we I hope did. people really do watch the show and then I'll be able to, you know, invite you back on when you're a, you know, big time, you know, Hollywood, you know, sitcom showrunner. And uh, I'll be like, Come back and do my podcast. Remember you did it before you got super famous? And I'll be like, who are you? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is honestly an actual dream. Um, so thank you so much. 